On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are at war with aliens and Edwardian family values in the Beebs period adaptation of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. Plus, we see how well Olivia Coleman sits the Iron Throne, or the Velvet One at any case, as she takes over as her Madge in The Crown. And we head back to Nazi-occupied America for the final season of The Man in the High Castle. Finally... We ain't saying he's a gold digger, except, well, we really are, because Ben Barnes plays precisely that opposite Julia Ormond in the BBC One series of the same name. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the show that, like the Great British Bake Off, takes a small group of enthusiastic but slightly inept pastry enthusiasts, gives them more things to do than they can possibly fit into the allocated time frame and sits back while they set everything on fire. Joining me in the great pilot watch-off tent this week are my two cohorts. First up, the Mary Berry of this particular group. She's harsh, she pulls no punches, and if you ever think of selling the show to Channel 4, she'll tell you to go and fuck yourself. It's Terry White eating what can only be described as the world's biggest prawn bap. Cub. I'm sorry? Prawn cub. <laughs> what? It's prawn. a northern word, cub, for it's bap. A, it's a bap. It's Who northern for bap. It's a rowel. A bap? It's a no. rowel. It's a prawn rowel. No, a rowel is an oblong piece of bread that you put a, no, hot, that you put a hot dog in. No, it isn't. That's and, a hot dog bun. And a cub... A hot dog, a hot dog bun? It's a hot dog, hot dog bun. A cub is what I'm holding in my hand, which is a circular piece of bread which you put sandwich fillings in. <laughs> You're no Mary Berry. In. It's a fucking rowel. And, um, and a bap is, is a boob. I beg your pardon? Get your baps out. Mm. Right, with something that Mary Berry did not say on the show. Uh, joining Terry and myself is our very own Henry Bird. He may not quite cut it when it comes to the Moroccan spiced pie technical challenge, but that doesn't stop the audience from liking him vastly more than everyone else anyway. It's Boyd Hilton. Have you had some kind of aneurysm where you've suddenly become a person that likes bake Are you quite impressed? I'm really impressed, I may or yeah. may not have done some research for this introduction. Hang on, though. The other day we had a very um, a revealing conversation in which James thought that Mary Berry and, um, and no, no, I confused Sue and Prue. Sue and Prue. Oh yeah, yeah Sue and Prue. I confused so Sue and Prue. He thought Sue Perkins was Prue. Mm. Oh, I did. Sake. I got confused. I got confused. But yeah, Prue's you know, about. I mean, without you know, I mean, in her eighties, I believe. But no, no, I, it's good. I've not. done some research. Like, I mean, for example, who can forget the dramatics of week eight when uh, Henry started well with an inventive savoury tart tatan, but then ended up getting the boot from the show after he <laughs> failed to impress in the technical and made an unimpressive chandelier pie tower. This is great. And didn't it's quite topical as well? Because, I mean, this, we may be covering this in news, but... But probably not. But there is a Christmas yeah. bake-off with Dairy Girls that someone tweeted us about. There's a Dairy they? Girls bake-off. Yeah, there's a Dairy Girls bake-off. There's a Dairy yeah. Girls... Someone tweeted you about it and you've ignored them. Oh, I haven't seen it. So, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. so all no, the Dairy interested. Girls are doing a bake-off together. Yes, at Christmas. I swear to God I will watch that. Yeah. I, this yeah. is this is going to be it. We should review that on the show. I will yeah. watch oh, okay. a Dairy Girls bake-off because it's like the worlds collide. It's like your world of shit reality TV <laughs> and my world of excellent <laughs> sitcoms collides yeah. into oh, this... Oh, what you a... Know, <laughs> This is classic James, which yeah. is, it's not relevant, it's not relevant, it's not relevant. I've now decided yeah. it's relevant because yeah. it fits into my life in a very small yeah. way. All we need now is Patrick Stewart to do a great Picard bake-off. But it just, it, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be very good because he'd just go up to a console and go, computer, gatto, hot, and it would just materialise. You'd never have a hot gatto. Captain Picard would. <laughs> Gatto's anyway. by their very definition of coal. Are you saying that, are you saying that uh, you're saying that like Klingon gacht, it should be served live? A anyway, roll. Speaking of uh, niche science fiction shows, Terry, 
Did you, this week, get a chance to watch the second episode of Farscape? Did I, or was I locked out of the... Um the shared folder we use to watch the shows, Joe. I see. So oh. this is my fault again, is it? Mm-hmm. So once again, we're going to have to delay this particular pleasure and put it off until next week. Well, I believe you've just re-granted me access. <laughs> yes, I've re-granted you access to the shows folder. Okay, fair enough. That's Did my you bad. deliberately lock bad. <laughs> locked Terry out? Well, of the, a lot out. of people had access to it and I felt that that was, you know, I needed to, I needed to restrict, <laughs> I needed to draw a line, I needed to whittle down the list of people who had access to, to, to the folder. So we made a hat out of tin foil. Yeah. Yeah. Put newspaper over the window so the aliens couldn't get in and decided mm. to recut the access, but he also accidentally locked out the people yeah. who need it. Yes, quote unquote, accidentally. <laughs> um, all right, fine. So, what have we been watching this week, Terry? So, um, uh, Boyd and I both saw um, something very exciting and actually tremendously good, which was the Gavin and Stacey Christmas special. Okay. Which we both got to see this week. Um, we have to be careful what we can say because obviously we can't review it yet and we can't give any spoilers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I said this on Twitter. It is a triumph. It is. I was dead scared because I love Gavin and Stacey. I've watched the original seasons multiple times. I was watching it last night, for example. It was the episode where Gavin and Stacey had fallen out and she'd gone back to Barry Island and she was in the bingo and Gav was in the phone party. Boyd knows what I'm talking about. Um, So, and how do you, it's been 10 years, how do you recapture that spirit? The world has changed so much over the last 10 years. We've changed as audiences. Those characters have changed. Every time somebody tries to do this, inevitably it fucks up. It just does. You can't recapture that original magic. Let's just say that they absolutely do. My nerves were real and they dissipated very quickly. And for me, the magic is getting those people together. Sure, it's all in the writing and Ruth Jones and James Corden have done a remarkable job. The precision and detail in that script is something else entirely. Okay. I'm in full agreement. Boy, yeah. do you make an appearance in, say, the ladies' underwear section of the episode? No, I don't, sadly. Although I did, so I've, I've interviewed um, uh, James and Ruth this week for another publication that I work for, <laughs> for our Christmas um, Christmas uh, edition. And um, I did ask why I wasn't cast in, in the mm. role of the little bald man in glasses in the background of Cardiff MS, sorting through knickers. And they, they apologised profusely and promised me if they ever did do another episode that I would be in it. Which is obviously really important. But how has your narrative arc changed over the uh, last Yeah, well, we'll years? just have to find out. I don't know. Well, really you have graduated know. to, you know... You, were you fingering a bra or knickers? N- knickers. So both, full, actually. Both. Yeah. Knickers and bra. I think I'd be manager of at least the underwear section. You oh. think? Like, mm. a, like a sort of a, a department head? Yeah, yeah, department mm. head. They'd have let you out the stock room? I think I'd hope, yeah. And nothing too much because one of the brilliant things, one, as we say, we can't spe- talk about specifics, but one of the brilliant things about, I thought, that the, the special episode, the new episode, is they hold back from anything that might be considered soapy or melodramatic yes. or, over, or too yes. much. So I think me just about being promoted a little bit would be about as much as, as mm. you'd realistically want from my character as well. But it is absolutely beautifully modulated, incredibly true to the original idea and the characters and yeah it is it's it's extraordinarily brilliant and funny as fuck yeah and we can say there was some really it was really sweet seeing wasn't it the whole cast was there apart from james is in la he was he was gutted he couldn't make it and just seeing like um larry lamb was talking about the director christine gernon's directed every single episode and so of course they brought her back um to direct it and he started welling up didn't he He was like crying because just just thinking of how important she was to the thing and you see how emotional these things are for these people who've who have 
been together in this brilliant, brilliant show, and now they're back nine, ten years later, and it's incredibly emotional. <laughs> I, and James couldn't look more bored right now. No, no, not at all. I'm just amazed. For two people who aren't currently allowed to review that show, this has been extremely detailed. Yeah, so. but we haven't, no, no, we haven't said anything we specific. We haven't said a single thing about the plot <laughs> We have not character. broken any embargo. Uh-huh. But yeah. I think we can say it's dead fucking funny, it's emotional, and it's fantastic writing. There yeah. you go. All right. What Good. things do you look forward to on Christmas Day, James? Have you ever watched an episode? Yeah, we did it for Funny or Die. I did, but oh, yeah, and you yeah. liked it, didn't you? I, I, I enjoyed bits of it, yeah. Was that off that week? No, I don't know. It was the one It was the one where it all takes place in the restaurant and they end up in the toilet oh, for a that's lot of it. Yeah. Oh. When they just got back from honeymoon, is it honeymoon or yes, holiday? Yes, honeymoon, honeymoon. two-week honeymoon yeah. and um, Nessa's pregnant and each... Yes, the out. Nessa's yeah. pregnancy in the toilet thing. Yes, yeah. yes, mm. yes. I remember that. I did, I did, I didn't Smithy's the father. I did. En- I enjoyed the Smithy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Smithy's mm. amazing. Yeah, oh. I thought Smithy was very good. Smithy, I mean, I've t- and I think I think um, it's real. It really shows what James can do. James Corden, not James Dyer. Mm. James Corden can do. James both Dyer of, can't do anything. <laughs> both a performance and a um, writing yes. perspective. Yes. Actually, Absolutely. I think people forget. You know, what his stage work before he did telly, and actually he's done it since, is incredible people have talked about what an amazing performer he is and his writing you know he, he obviously writes his show every day as well with his team yeah. like i think i think smithy's one of the great underrated characters but let's also be honest the whole appeal always about gavin and stacy it's never really been gavin and stacy it's they're the, the kind of characters. yeah they're yeah. the they're the they're the heart of they're mm. the the thing that everybody pivots around but the people you're really invested in ultimately sure Nessie Smith. Although having Bryn. said that, again without spoiling, there is a. Th- I think what they've got them doing in this mm. episode, the theme they're exploring is really true to life and, and interesting and important. Yes, I thought it was great. So yeah, there we go. We've does talked it, about that. Does it involve the Borg? It does not involve the Borg or any kind of aliens or Muppets oh. in space. Well, that's a shame. Or um, giant wormy things mm. or anything like that. No. Hey, you enjoyed Farscape. In fact, Terry, we need I to get on to Terry Farscape. Farscape before Boyd forgets it. No, I mean, I'm still remember. I'm not, never going to forget it. Okay, never, good. ever going to forget it's it. It's a life-changing Because it is quite unique. Do you, um, do you have a thing you've been watching as yes, well? Yes, I have been catching up with Giri Haji. Ah, yes. Reviewed, and it's really fucking good. Well, know? there was a big old episode last night, wasn't there? Last night as we record, so yeah. that would have been last Thursday yes. night with a big old shootout. Big old shootout. Mm. And it's, 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 it's what it's doing brilliantly, I think, is... Um, um, and kind of much better. It's even. Well, I think we all liked it when mm. we reviewed the, the first episode. Me more than you two. Maybe okay, but I think it's <laughs> matching the style. It's incredibly style, visually ambitious and bold and stylish. But the emotion is there, and I think that builds and builds and builds as you get to know the characters more. Mm. So the the thing going on between the two brothers and the the, the, the good guy's daughter is, gets involved. Um, it's really interesting and really it's it's brilliantly done and really emotionally has a real good emotional undercurrent as well which is rare is. so I'm really enjoying it I think it's becoming a, kind of a bit really really good I think and people are starting to talk about I've noticed on Twitter and stuff going yeah, actually it's it's fucking special yes Gimme Hadji is very very good indeed um, also Dublin Murders is now finished that's yeah. all done oh yeah we can talk about For that those, well, well no no, no. So no. Th- some no no <laughs> boy no spoiler alert spoiler alert we will not be yeah. talking about the end of Dublin sure. Murders because not everyone will have seen it except to say is really fucking good. And we'll get into it in the Review of the Year podcast. Okay. I mean, you've decided that now. <laughs> well, no, no, I mean, great classic I don't style. know that we can... I, so again, in, and spoiler police, as I am now wearing my spoiler police hats, we cannot, you know, yeah. start, you know, okay. banging on about Fine. this. I'll find some clever way Fine. in the Review of the Year podcast to kind of do, like, time stamps so people know to avoid certain yeah, bits. Yeah, but I'm glad you remind, I wanted to say one thing about it because I remembered that I read, so I read the, um, the second book of that 
um, of yeah, series yeah, of books, yeah. the Donna Murder books, um, and not the first one. And then um, I'm reading now, reading the first one, and the, what she does, how she adapts it is so. When you read them, it's even more incredibly brilliant, yeah. actually, because she really knows how to hit upon an amazing striking image and then you know kind of use it as a trope throughout the thing that really mm. becomes a powerful metaphor and and she really knows how to just the things she's changed the changes she makes are so much for the better like in terms of making a TV job it's incredible so yeah I think yeah. like you almost like it's brilliant an absolutely brilliant thing and, and one of my favourite shows of the year for sure and then you, you start you read the books and you think oh my god it's absolutely astonishing her skill of what she does that first book was I don't know if controversial is the right word but it definitely polarised people quite a lot so uh, yeah Yes, it'll be interesting to see what yeah. people make of the end of the show. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. That's not what I wanted to talk about. And I'm not going to talk about Jack Ryan either, except to say it's not as good as season one. Oh. Uh, and I'm not even going to talk about Living With Yourself, which I finished and was really good. What I'm going to talk about is C. I've been binging oh, the C. Oh, fuck me, I love that show. It's so much fun. And there's a fight sequence in episode three that just blew my absolute mind. Like, blind fighting. Blind fighting, mm. yeah. It was it was not extraordinary. The, not the wanking. Well, final, funny you should bring that up, but obviously we've talked about the, the masturbation in episode one. They double down. Have you seen episode two, Boyd? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, double they, down, they double down yeah. on the wanking <laughs> really in do. episode two by bringing in a third party to assist. It's quite the sequence. Yeah, it's quite a Stephen Knight theme. <laughs> It's it's not, hang on, though. It's not masturbation if somebody else is doing it. No, but it's all about what? prayer. So when they pray, they pray. They when pray, they pray. When they pray. When they pray. <laughs> I love, love a bit of praying. Uh, when they pray, uh, obviously they seem to they seem to pray via the medium of orgasm. This seems to yeah. be how the Queen does it. So either she's doing it or someone <laughs> else is helping her out with it. Re- but... Listeners, that was an eye roll from Terry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, no wonder she has to masturbate then, because if she's looking for a man to bring her to that stage, <laughs> then she's going to be like, <laughs> 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 yeah, basically freeing off is how you commune with yeah, um, with yeah. high power, yeah. Or asking one of your assistants to you know yeah. help out. Freak so. you off. Yeah. Uh, so that, but no, but there's a there's a there is a fight sequence where, and I was saying this on Twitter that Jason Moe is like a sort of a blind John Wick in this. Like it is nuts this fight sequence, and it's and and I was talking about this on the Empire one a little bit. It's not like in like Zatoichi or like a Book of Eli where you've got lots of people having a big old fight, and one of them's like a ninja but he's blind because everyone in this is blind it changes the grammar of the fights to such an extent that it's like nothing I'd ever seen before and it's like it's like fighting but it's really touchy-feely gropey fighting it's just you kind of have to see it I think it's a good industry, but I really want to see the script because I think in the script does Stephen does he write and they fight and, or does he actually yeah. go into the meticulous detail of how yeah. blind people fight each yeah it's nuts yeah. like it's, uh, it's I'm really really enjoying see a lot and they so they dropped the first three when Apple TV Plus launched and then they're doing them weekly now and I think mm. there's ten in the first season yeah. I think and so they're going to be going along week by week but yeah C's, C's good shit I like it and they've all been this is news can we can we slightly blunt, blend into news which is they're, they're recommissioning all those shows let's do it it's time now for news and our first <laughs> news story is that they're recommissioning every single one of yes. their shows yes. because they're Apple and they can do that and I think, yeah, that's true. And it's interesting because they didn't get quite as well-received probably as we did, maybe. No. I mean, we, you know, it's quite rare probably that we're nicer about stuff than than critics out there. But I didn't note. See, the American critics seemed quite harsh to me, particularly about the morning the show. The morning show got yeah. a bit of a mauling. Like, but why? Like, what? what's, what's their beef? <laughs> why? What's wrong with them? I couldn't quite... I mean, I was slightly more... Not critical. I, I talked no, about you some. Of, no, 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 not in the podcast. Oh. I, well, I wrote about it in pilot. Oh. I, was, I talked about some of the flaws, but I'd only seen the first episode at that point, and then I suddenly saw two and three, which I think I think it does get better, uh, even better actually. Yeah. And then you, you go. I feel like 
they're probably. I think. Do you know what? I think succession has partly ruined everything because th- that. I agree entirely. Well, no, I mean, in, <laughs> in terms of the pace and tone of that show, is it's unrelentingly thrilling that show. Whereas this is different and has mm. a kind of more old-fashioned feel mm. to it, the way it's directed and scripted in a way. And, and I think I've seen some comparisons with that that are slightly unfair because not everything can be succession, not everything wants to be succession. But I think it is. It is weird how critical they've been. I think everyone's agreed that she's brilliant. That Jennifer Aniston's brilliant. Yeah. Did you see the Guardian piece this week, which yeah. caused quite the hoo-ha? Who are Nana's here online? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see this, James? It was no. uh, Hadley Freeman interviewed. Preparing um, for a second that I have no awareness of what goes on around me. I mean, our, uh, the enough. digital editor of Empire, <laughs> you must understand, <laughs> listeners, doesn't use the internet. But um, Hadley Freeman, who is obviously a columnist and interviewer for the Guardian, interviewed Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston um, <laughs> for this show, and I start to laugh because there is a brilliant line in it where I think she they were. She mentions they were late and somebody said, oh, how late were they? And she said something like, they were four times more late than the amount of time I was given to interview them, which I just thought was an amazing yeah, way to, uh, yeah. to say that. But um, obviously the show's massively about Me Too and Reese Witherspoon has talked before specifically about um, uh, her own experiences within the industry, especially when she started out. And there's quite an interesting tension that came up where neither of them, neither Jennifer Anderson or Reese Witherspoon, wanted to talk about... Me too, particularly in the industry, didn't kind of want to be seen to go on the record in any really specific way about it. And it's caused a big debate online because a lot of people said, you know, why should they have to relive their kind of personal experiences on demand like that? But other people saying, which I think is an interesting point, if you're going to make something out of Me Too and you're going to, in some respects, profit off of the conversation around Me Too and you are, part of the problem has always been the silence, including from women who you feel like are in powerful positions who felt unable to talk. If we are now in an environment where that's not the issue it once was, although people have their own issues for not speaking out, is there a sense where they should be more willing to engage in that conversation and the only way things are dismantled is if women in great positions of power start to kind of um, move that forward, which I thought was a really interesting part of it, how much they are supposed Mm. to engage with it because that's kind of such a thematic part of the show. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I kind of—I actually thought, do you know, sometimes it's 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 a it's a contextual thing, isn't it? Because I read that article and I thought, fair enough, what the writer what Hadley Freeman's asking them about, which is basically she's asking them, are you going to name names and yeah. talk about your experiences? Because they both said, oh, you know, we've had experiences of of, of inappropriate behaviour at the very least, if not more. But in a, in a junket, do you know what I mean? Like in a junket situation, I feel like. I know what, from their point of view, they're expecting kind of like fairly frothy light. Yeah. Keep it light, do you know what I mean? And she talks about how the atmosphere dropped and the temperature dropped in the room. And I can't imagine them going, oh, wow. You know, even if, even though it is the yeah. Guardian and, and they're both, you know, going, oh, we're really being challenged on this stuff, which they just probably weren't expecting, Let, you know. So I thought it was an interesting article, yeah. But I, I feel a little it. bit like if they were going to do that then it's kind of their choice how and when and in what medium to uh, do it yeah. like maybe they want to release well, it and people, write a thing yeah. like they shouldn't have to tell it to Hadley Freeman is what I'm saying no but what I, I think what is interesting is you can't I don't think I think if you are going to be positioned as one of the women in the industry who's kind of at the forefront of trying to dismantle the problems the structural problems that have existed before and if also you're now out in the world talking about a show which is very based on this a very mm. popular show which I'm I'm sure you know 
um, they both were paid handsomely for, as is their right as actors and producers. That that there, it's some. There's a weird disconnect if you're then not willing to engage in that conversation. Yeah. So I do wonder whether, like, when one creates a piece of art or a work of fiction, you're not necessarily obligated to share parts of your personal life which illustrate parallels in this, as Liam Neeson learned to his cost while promoting his most recent film, Cold Pursuit. But. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying you shouldn't necessarily have to sort of air your own laundry to promote this piece of work that you have done for your job. But the dialogue being used to promote this piece of work is is the, the problems that have existed in Hollywood is because women haven't been able to speak out and you know I th- I think it I think I'm not one for this concept that women have to carve up parts of their soul and re- and reveal parts of themselves and their trauma to be able to be relevant in the world. And I think that's a big problem that mm. female journalists have, for example, is you're expected to like share everything to in some way illustrate your point because just making that point alone isn't enough. So I totally see what you're saying, but I do understand the slight contradiction in terms and how will the industry ever change if women who maybe are more able to talk about it still won't because how does that kind of help other women mm. coming through? I, I think it's a really thorny issue but I'm surprised they weren't prepped better bearing in mind what the show's about quite mm. frankly yeah but as I say I think it all comes down to the, to, to just not expecting that level of depth if you like in, mm. in yeah. a junk interview situation they were expecting you the, know did you enjoy making yeah. the film <laughs> yeah. what was yeah. it like on like set? my my, my yeah. level of they were frankly, expecting Boyd to frothy, turn up an interview frothy banality they yeah. were expecting rather than in-depth <laughs> challenging Boyd follows Hadley in <laughs> yeah. and they're like yeah. it's alright guys <laughs> yeah. can we do a friends quiz <laughs> 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 Oh, you're like Paxman reborn. Uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of streaming things, Disney Plus has a date. Yes, it does. Oh, yes. It finally has Woo. announced its UK launch date, which is 31st of March in the UK, a full four months. Four months after it launches everywhere else on the planet, which begs a number of questions. Um, first of all, so something like The Mandalorian, which will have been essentially aired in its completion, presumably everywhere else, will it all well, not, drop? Well, hang on, not everywhere, <laughs> not everywhere else. else but this is many Germany, other places. Germany, France, Italy, Spain, and UK are all thirty yeah. first. We're all right. fucked, and so everyone else gets a lot idea. of Europe, <laughs> a lot of Northern Europe. Yeah. Anyway, um, so so, but you know, will they drop them all at once because everyone's already seen it? But no, but no, they clearly won't. They'll do it week by week, even though it will have aired in its entirety elsewhere first. Yeah, I mean. I think it's slightly exaggerated the extent to which the whole world watches stuff, you know, immediately if, it, if they have to wait officially. Do you know what I mean? I.e. illegally, effectively. You know? No, no, but I'm just saying, like, everyone who can see it legally will have already seen it legally. And so I just feel like, they, I feel in this day and sure. age, there's a weird disconnect doing it that way. I mean, it's not ideal. It's not. And it's I, not their fault either. Of course, I should it's not, illustrate it's not that. Because they yeah. I've not chosen to do this. No. It's out of necessity. Yeah, exactly. But, so I don't know. I still think. In the end, I still think probably the vast majority of their viewers will be watching in those territories, including this country, mm. will be watching it for the first time when it when it arrives on well, their service. They'll have to, right? Yeah. In the main, but something like Mandalorian, I think it's fine if it, if we were talking about the morning show. Nobody's going. Oh my god, I can't bear not seeing, it and I can't go on Twitter. But yeah. the reality is, the Mandalorian is a different kettle of fish, yeah, I think. Yeah. And, and you do have a massively engaged fan base who feel like they've already been waiting ages to see it. And are going to hear all this conversation. They'll be part of forums. They'll be part mm. of groups. They'll yeah. be like talking to people. And I can only imagine the sense of frustration if you are one of those fans and you can't see it for, as you say, what, four months? Yeah, that's that's not funny. No. <laughs> but, and I mean, I'm obviously lumping you into those. those yeah, these are my people, people. Yeah, we're talking about. These, these are my people. people. Absolutely. Terry couldn't, get, couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> 
<laughs> that she has to wait four months to watch that fucking Mandalorian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yes, yes. Um, right, okay, what else have we got? Oh, Mayan's MC has been renewed for a third season, oh, despite the removal of Kurt Sutter from it. That's uh, that's that's good news. I like Mayan's MC, so I'm glad that that will be returning for mm. third year. We know you like Mayan's MC. Yeah, MC. L- love a bit of Mayan's. Who's um, the other person that watches it? You and... Well, Kurt Sutter, I think, is probably... Yeah. <laughs> probably not anymore. Probably less so now, <laughs> it's just me. Chucked him. Uh, no, it's, it's actually very popular. It's one of FX's leading shows. <laughs> Out of... Uh, the other shows <laughs> that they have on their thing. I want to talk about Queen Latifah being the equaliser. Oh, yeah. What is that, that with is that? Crazy. That is amazing. Yeah. Why is that any more weird than anything else that happens in our fucking I mean, universe yeah. right now? I mean, you Queen Latifah <laughs> is amazing. Mm. Let's be frank. Yeah. And, like, will she be wearing the leather gloves and the big coat and standing in the headlights? Just to be clear, this is the equaliser and not Shaft we're talking about. I'm not sure he's necessarily known for his, you know. The the opening credits of Equaliser, Edward Woodward Wood, stands in the headlights of the car and he pulls on his leather gloves and he's wearing his big black coat and he's lit from behind by the car headlights. So don't start with me about getting my iconography wrong. My only touchstone for the equaliser is Denzel Washington, so I can't really help you. Did you not watch the Edward Woodward Wood? I don't believe I did. When you were a kid? Yeah, I did. I loved no. it. Yeah, the Equalizer. Never saw it. The original Never saw it. Yeah, it was classic. I've seen the Denzel oh. films. One's okay, the other one's not. Yeah. Uh, but but basically, not... Edward Woodward Wood has turned into Queen Tifa is quite unlikely. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. And that's the it's thing. Good. That's it for me. It's, yeah. not, it's not she's becoming Denzel Washington. It's because yeah. he's, she's becoming she's Edward becoming Woodward Wood. Woodward. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, Liam Neeson became an action star in Taken. So, you know, it can happen to us. It can happen to anyone. It could happen to you, Terry. You I, could be the next action star. I mean, I, I am in many respects. I <laughs> actually think Queen Latifah is such a massive talent. She's like yeah, an p- absolute powerhouse. So, you know, if anyone can pull off the headlights standing, leather glove, coat wearing, <laughs> sinisterness of Edward Wood, 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 then it's her. Agreed. Okay. Right. <laughs> Did you see the trailer for Hunters? I didn't. On, what is it? This is um, the uh, Amazon Prime show starring Al Pacino as the leader of a band of Nazi hunters living in 1977 New York who discover hundreds of high-ranking Nazi officials conspiring to create a Fourth Reich in America. What oh, a I fucking... I know. I kind of missed it as well. But it's um, it's uh, it's also produced by Jordan Peele. Exactly produced by Jordan Peele. It sounds fucking brilliant. And the teaser trailer is really good. It's just literally a minute-long teaser trailer, but it's already got me incredibly excited. And I immediately think it's going to be the best thing ever on Amazon Prime. Well, I know. Yeah. I know. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the best things ever on streaming services, Terry, you'll be excited to know that the Witcher showrunner, Lauren Schmidt-Hissrich, has planned out not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, or even six, but seven seasons worth of content for the Witcher TV show. So we've got a near decade of Henry Cavill in blonde wig action coming up, or white wig action, I should say. My God. You're going to watch all yeah. of them, aren't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. It looks amazing. I love the first trailer. I worship the second trailer. I cannot you wait till it drops on 20th wow. December when we dedicate at least four or five That's podcasts to just some kind of episode by episode coverage. Oh, it's going to be great. Who watches The Witcher? Me. That's your whole Christmas story, isn't it? Isn't it arrived just before yeah, Christmas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that is. That's my whole Christmas is, is, is Witcher watching. Mm. It's going to be brilliant. Um, Witcher, I... Witcher, 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 say that. No. What? <laughs> 
Okay, here's another random thing. So in the grand scheme of rebooting things with female-led casts, they're doing it with Kung Fu. You know, David David mm. Carradine's Kung Fu, which yes. was which he stole from Bruce Lee yeah, back in the say, 70s. Yeah. Uh... Um, it is being uh, rebooted with a young female cast. And in this Kung Fu, and I shall read you from the press release, a quarter-life crisis causes a young Chinese-American woman to drop out of college and go on a life-changing journey to an isolated monastery in China. But when she returns to find her hometown overrun with crime and corruption, she uses her martial arts skills and Shaolin values to protect her community and bring criminals to justice. And I know what you're saying. This is uncannily like the plot to Terry's upcoming autobiographical novel. However, I am assured that it was not based on your life, Terry, and it's purely coincidental. Are there any names attached? Uh, no. Oh. Hmm. That's because that could be t- that could be okay or horrendously inappropriately terrible. It may be Queen Latifah. I think, they're gonna, I think they have to make sure it's appropriate, don't they, after after the original Kung Fu obviously not being yeah. appropriate. David Carradine <laughs> you has, couldn't, yeah. you would not That would not happen now. No. No. Just that, that cast. Because also, so no. we got, we've had, obviously, we've had Kung Fu and Warrior is kind of based on yeah, Bruce Lee's a, yeah. original Kung Fu right. notes and stuff. So, and this is... Yeah. This is there are a few um, kind of martial artsy type dramas, aren't there, around? So mm. it's a little bit of a wave. Yeah. A semi a semi wave. Can we mention the, the the actual official launch of BritBox, the yeah. um, streaming service of? You're not aware of this? Well, no, I am aware of it, and I'm also aware that they they issued a press release saying, "Yeah, it's all going to be classic British shows, but we're going to remove some of the more racist things from our back yeah. catalogue." And yeah. basically, it was a couple of episodes of Midsummer Murders. But no, surely this new, is no, all new, new, yeah. new, exclusive new episodes of Midsummer Murders. They've got a, they've got exclusive rights to a new Australian drama about nuns in an island off the Pacific which looks quite good actually um, and just hundreds and hundreds of classic old shows but with the racism removed but this is the thing surely with the racism removed removes Remove. all 70s British comedy because it's really problematic mm, a lot but yeah. they made a statement which I thought was curious we will not be we will be showing all episodes of Faulty Towers but with a special massive racism disclaimer at the beginning well that interesting I think they've also already edited that a bit for when it goes out on gold I think they are, oh, they are they? T- yeah there are tiny but there are some really tricky moments course, in that yeah. but obviously they're like oh it's too important we can't get rid of it it, but we'll have some kind of disclaimer at the front mm. uh, warning oh, this was in sense. the 70s when everyone was racist I think that makes sense yeah um, but more, even more excitingly is from Boxing Day every single episode of Doctor Who will be available <gasps> oh. yeah woo and indeed yes. who yeah. all of the ten, mean, all of season 10 uh, no all of 10 do- Doctor sorry all, of, all classic Doctor Who all of it oh. everything and which is how many episodes incredible. is that hundreds oh my god yeah Oh I mean, God. that's not bingeable, is it? That's nuts. Of course that's it is. That's a colossal amount of terrible television to get through. Oh, shut <laughs> the fuck <laughs> I think we should make you do a, uh, a watch of The Tenth Doctor. <sighs> yes. I, just, I can't. Yes. I can't. You can't make me. You made me watch Fire Escape. <laughs> um... Dune, there's some Dune news. And what was in Dune news? So was Dune, this about the yeah, something yeah Dune about... the Sisterhood, the Bene Gesserit spin-off series, <laughs> has lost showrunner John Spates because he's going to write the second Dune film. So uh, oh, HBO okay. Max are going to need a new uh, a new a new showrunner for that. Um, Boyd, I'm surprised yeah. you haven't mentioned the Frasier. I don't know the Frasier news. Is I mean, is this a real story? You can tell me because your know, TV's, I haven't heard it. TV's Boyd Hilton, <laughs> Go on. which is that um, Frasier's being rebooted, right? And Kelsey Grammer has suggested it could be as early as next summer. Wow! Um, okay. So he said that it's ready to go. 
could air as early as um, summer 2020. Said he's in the middle of talks with lots of potential networks. Um, said it's all worked out in terms of presumably story. They understand what they think they want to do. Um, and it's all kind of in the hands of these network deals. Um, but he said a revisit to that world is definitely wow. going to come. I'm excited. You must be excited I'm about very that. excited, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, I think it is, it, yeah, because he did say, I think about six months ago he said yeah. it's in development and he's he's up for it. And I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, fair enough. But I think Frasier is going to be easier to do again to go back to than a lot of other shows I can mm. mention. Like it's not Friends would be a minor possible. Oof. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. Oh, did you see that picture of Courtney Cox? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Matthew Perry. Yeah. Let's just draw a veil over that. Um, but yeah, I think Friends go horribly wrong. I think Seinfeld would go horribly wrong. But actually, Frasier, I think you could do much easier because it's really him and the brother, him and Niles. You well, know, yeah, and that, it's, it, it, they're the only ones yeah. still alive. Well, and Daphne. Definitely, definitely still alive, <laughs> Jane Leaves. Um, yeah, So, but yeah, I'm fully in favour. I can't wait. I love fucking Frasier. Frasier, fucking, I, love, I fucking love Frasier. Great. Uh, <laughs> did, you, did you read uh, the Mike Flanagan news, the Bly Manor? information mm. that he dropped which I thought was quite interesting yeah. so, so the one thing of Bly Manor this is based on Henry James The Turn of the Screw but Mike Flanagan said he actually has access to loads of Henry James other ghost stories and, he's, and he has quote unquote used them all so things like The Jolly Corner and The Romance of Certain Old Clothes which is perhaps the best title for anything well ever um, all of these are going to feed into The Haunting of Bly Manor well, so, I just think The Turn of the Screw has been done to death well that's apparently so going to be many. the overall skeleton the structure of it and all this other stuff's going to happen in between you don't fuck with Henry James. No. Like, you just don't fuck... You don't. That's actually what's written on his tombstone. So that's, You don't uh, fuck with nice. Henry James. And there have been so many attempts to different spins, modern takes in film and TV of Turn of the Screw. Turn of the Screw is pretty much perfection as a piece of storytelling. So, hands off. Have you read, have you read The Golden Bowl? <laughs> bowl? The bowl. Golden Bowl? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did in college. Oh, yeah. In university, Fucking I difficult, say. that is. Not to be confused with The Golden Rowell, which is a very different... <laughs> Story. <laughs> it's a very different story. Yeah. <laughs> right, shall we move on to reviews? Yes. Okay, fine. And we begin, as of course we should, with season three of The Crown, in which Olivia Coleman and Tobias Menzies take over as the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh in a televisual changing of the guard. Uh, essentially, monarchy, the next generation. <laughs> That's how I'm seeing it. This third season charts the 60s and 70s and will also feature some drama in the breakdown of Princess Margaret's marriage to Lord Snowden. So there's that to look forward to. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we, Terry? Did Coleman cut the mustard? See what I did there. How long did that take you to write? <laughs> that was Alan Partridge, that was. <laughs> uh-huh. You are getting more Partridge. I, it's it's a new thing. Look at the jumper. Look at the jumper. I, I'm, I'm looking a bit yes, Partridge you today, are. aren't I? You are totally well, this, Partridge. This, my sort of pun intros to the reviews are something that have obviously been building momentum over a while now, but I've just gone full Alan with them now. They yeah. get worse. You wait till you hear the others. You know. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, so, as you say, third season of The Crown... Big, big, big news. There's loads of amazing casting in this season, let's be honest. I mean, Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret is just inspired. Josh O'Connor, who is in God's Own Country, um, as Charles, who you don't see in this first episode. And we have to say, this is an episode that really belongs to Prince Philip and the Queen Tobias Menzies, as you say, who I actually think is an exceptional Prince Philip. Um, It's really hard to do Prince Philip without it looking like an impression of Prince Philip, (laughs) because he's such a cliche but um he's got this beautiful delicacy about him actually which actually makes you much more interested in prince philip than you think you could ever possibly be um but like let's talk about the woman herself because she is 
just incredible. I think the the reaction to this season of The Crown, I wonder if it'll be a little mixed because it is definitely less flashy, less sexy, more muted, more quiet. She's in a really different part of her life. It's They have this amazing scene at the beginning. And it's all about her transition to being middle-aged, right? And not being this young, kind of um, inexperienced uh, uh, young woman. And so there's this amazing bit where they're looking at portraits of her then and now. And actually, it's the two queens. It's it's really mm-hmm. interesting how they just leaned into that. But it was, it was establishing, really, that she's in this different... Um, part of her age and dealing with being middle-aged and dealing with being more experienced but still being surrounded by bell ends basically quite a lot of the time <laughs> but they their chemistry is i think incredible and i really enjoyed her kind of it's a quite a quiet presentation of the queen in some respects there's less kind of beauty and glamour and youth and all of those kind of sexy elements we're used to and it's slightly less like fantasy um the queen for me it's more it's more realistic there's a real atmosphere shift it's kind of um intense and quite brooding and she's quite contemplative there's lots of that kind of brilliant burning quiet frustration that she can't articulate because she is the queen you see her in profile quite a lot there's lots of shadows i i think this is a much more interesting kind of meditative view of the queen um but real poignancy there's these scenes with churchill who obviously the big um thing happening as it opens is that there is a new prime minister harold wilson and the labor party have got in um and there are so many events it's going to cover you've got moon landings you've got the big mining disaster of the 60s so i think this is set up to be a really interesting period for them to explore but we don't see a lot of Helena Bonham Carter. The bit we do see is, deli- I mean, delightful. And they're clearly setting up what is going to be her mental health issues and her failing marriage. Um, no Prince Charles. No, obviously, Camilla comes later, who is Emerald Fennel, who is the Killing Eve writer. And so it's quite a small story. But also it's, um, it's almost like a spy thriller. There's a whole kind of subplot about a um, basically a KGB guy within either the government or the royal household which is super interesting which lends it this really different tone i've only watched the first episode i really liked it and i really like that it's becoming a real character study for me of who the queen is and how she got to be who she is today um so i really enjoyed it i'm really excited to see what josh o'connor brings i've heard great things from people who've got that far I think he's one of the best talents we've got in this country in terms of young actors. To see that and the beginnings of Camilla and to see Helena, Helena Bonham Carter presumably go to completely fucking off the rails as Princess Margaret is something I'm very excited by. But I thought it was a, a really strong first episode, but it may not be the big kind of dramatic pull-in that people maybe expect. Boyd, how was it for you? Well, I've watched six. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> I'll get you did get down with the crown. Um, it is fucking brilliant. That's all I can say. And I'm I'm not the world's biggest fan of the crown. Yeah. I think this is a massive step up. And you're absolutely right in what you're saying because uh, for me, the the why I didn't get entirely on board with the first couple of seasons. I mean, it's beautifully made, yes. epically lavish. You know, this they built a life size version of Buckingham Palace for fuck's sake um, and cr- hundred, crowds of thousands of extras and it was all very grand and grandiose 
but I didn't really care that much about any of them. And it was striving to make you care. That's the whole point mm. of it, really, is what you know Peter Morgan, the, the, the creator and writer, is trying to do. Whereas now, I'm completely in. And actually, I thought that device in that first episode you talked about where they do have the old Queen yeah. is so clever. Yeah. And it carries on from there. The stories he's decided to tell, I think they're more interesting. I think they're mm. intrinsic. So you've got, as you say, you've got the spy in that episode you're going to want to have Google to hand because the Mountbatten story coming up, which is about whether he he kind of got embroiled in a plot to oust the Prime Minister, is incredible. And I was immediately fascinated because I didn't really know about that. I kind of vaguely aware of it. And then you go and it's like, fucking hell, this is extraordinary stuff. The, the moon landing episode is, is the one where they really focus on Prince Philip. And that's really brilliantly done because he cares much more about the moon landing than he does, like, you know, his own kids, basically. is kind of part of the yeah. implication. Um, just the stories. Of fuck, I mean, there's an amazing episode about how the they agree. So they were already people, the public were beginning to see them as being overly privileged, distant, completely in their own bubbles. So they agreed to have a BBC camera, camera crew filming them for a documentary, and it's hilarious. And famously, that was, they never let, 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 that was never shown ever again. It was shown once on BBC One, and they insisted, the palace insisted, it never be let out ever again, and it has never been seen again, because it's just too embarrassing, because they kind of, you know, the cameras still saw them behaving like a bunch of privileged twats. And it's just brilliantly, brilliantly mm. involving. It's just, it's brilliant drama I think you know and it's just finding the stories that make you care about them and be fascinated about them as human beings Prince Philip's mum comes back from Greece she's been in a nunnery that's another bit I just, just, <laughs> just remember everything every story he picks is fascinating it, it, honestly, it's so addictive it is, it's really well the brilliant. drama's been the, the drama's done so brilliantly yeah. this time yeah um, and she you know she is Olivia Coleman is one of our greatest dramatic actors people keep talking about the favourite right because she played yeah. the queen and it's yeah but the, they couldn't be further apart. No. They couldn't, couldn't be further apart. And she's so quiet and coiled and... I mean, she actually, there are moments where she doesn't speak for ages. Mm. She just sits there. And what she does with her face, there's one scene in particular, is just extraordinary. And yeah. it's really an excellent demonstration of what she is capable of when it comes to proper detailed character studies of interesting women. Mm. And there is nobody arguably more interesting or had a more, you know, insane life than the Queen. And they are all incredible. Though. Josh O'Connor is incredible as Prince Charles. I mean, he just, you're just immediately, you just believe they are that person. It is, and Philip, you know, it is incredible how brilliantly cast they are. And there's a genius to the casting, really. Because mm. actually, when they're announced, I remember, I remember when Eva Lucon was announced, I think, oh, that's bold, kind of, I don't know, I can't quite see it. And then everything about it works so brilliantly. And of course, it all goes back to, the whole thing was based on a play called The Audience, which was all about her meeting her prime ministers. Mm. And you really get more of that. Her, the scenes with her and Harold Wilson, oh. played by Jason Watkins, are fantastic. And a lot of those silences and kind of them negotiating this thing because he is a lefty Labour politician, socialist, you know. Anti-monarchy. Anti-monarchy, basically, a Republican, effectively. And she's kind of dealing with that. And it's fascinating. It's relentlessly fascinating. Doesn't it make you think, in my head, all I was imagining was her meeting with Boris when Boris had to go and say, you know, I just, I was like, I can't wait for the days when we we see the drama of that Well, but season four is going to be Thatcher played by Gillian Anderson. I mean, that is going to be spectacular. I cannot wait for that. 
I'm, I'm <laughs> devastated to say I wasn't able to watch this <laughs> you because weren't. Netflix did made it available, unfortunately, a little bit late, and I didn't have time to see it. So I can't contribute. Very late. Sound... I, I only watched it by the skin of my teeth. Yeah, to be I know. Fair to I, 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 I missed it, and that's a shame. But I, it sounds awesome, and sounds like we recommend it to everyone. And that is The Crown season three, which drops on Netflix on Sunday, November the seventeenth. Sunday. That's an odd day for a Netflix yes. drop. Yeah. I think it's. I think they're so. It's so much their flagship thing that they feel it gets its own special day because every other Netflix shows we know arrives on that's Friday, right. pretty much. And I feel they maybe they also feel it's got kind of Sunday night. As, quality to <laughs> the it. Sunday feeling. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Quite like, it is. When, I mean, it's like the best b- ever Sunday period drama, isn't it? But when you want to binge it all weekend, that's my only thing is you start on a Sunday yeah. night and you're going to be gutted when you've got I mean, to go to are. work on Monday morning, right? That is right? absolutely true, yeah. I mean, you really are. But you can, if you start, you can watch it first thing Sunday, of course. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, ah. So you can, you, yeah, I, w- I would completely take that whole day off, make sure you've got Sunday booked, for th- not, no, no events, and maybe book Monday off as well. No events. I, like, I, no I, events. I enjoy the thought that you think normal people have <laughs> events on a Sunday. Guys, TV's boy Hilton People. says, cancel all of your uh, events and just yeah. say, oh, you know, your life, as, as as you may like to call it instead. Yes, yes life events. <laughs> right. <laughs> Next up, we have the fourth and final series of The Man in the High Castle. As the show based on Philip K. Dick's book about uh, an America overrun by the Third Reich gets even more sci-fi with the Nazis poised to take their blitzkrieg to other worlds. Boyd, did this take your brain to another dimension and demand close attention? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Alan. Niche niche prodigy gag for you there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, I... I was a fan of The Man in the High Castle, certainly the first couple of series. I think the third started to lose me, well, lost me a bit, quite a lot. And there have been a lot of machinations going on in the background. The showrunner left, um, other showrunners that came and came away yeah. as well. Um, there was a massive long gap between, I think, series two and three, there 22 was. months, I think it was, something like that. Um, and I know we're used to quite big gaps in the days of streaming because these are huge, I mean, the budget for this, again, you know, yeah. it's extraordinary. The, 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 um, the visuals and the production design is amazing. It has been from the very beginning, produced by Ridley Scott's, Scott's company itself. So they've decided to end it, I think, fair enough, because it was beginning to feel stretched mm-hmm. about halfway through season two, frankly. And it's quite a slim novel, the original novel. It is, Which very, is, you yeah. know, positing this alternate history. And what you've got now is you've got the resistance against the main Nazi um, people that are ruling this version of America. You've got battles between the... Um, the Nazis and the Japanese who are kind of on the other side of the country and they rule over that. You've got the Chinese coming in as well in the beginning of this episode and they're threatening um, the Japanese. And you've got this whole other area of the show which is is explaining the alternate universe thing, which is explaining how we got to this point um, where there are, you know, other dimensions basically. It's a kind of like OA style. It's gone very sci-fi in a way that it wasn't. It was alternate history but you took it as is. I mean, obviously the videos took yeah, another I quite that, like but. the idea they're explaining how this alternate history happened, and yeah. you get the characters aware of the fact, watching old newsreel footage of other of, of another world where this didn't happen. I, that's interesting, but I feel like the cutting between these various elements isn't keeping me entirely invested in the characters. It's quite baffling. It isn't is it? baffling. I mean, I would say there's a long catch up at the beginning of this. I mean, I would yeah. say five good five yeah. minute catch up. If you haven't watched. Like, if you haven't caught up, if you haven't seen any of it, you're going to be... And there's just there's no point in starting There is now. no point. I mean, it is no. absolutely baffling. Start at the beginning. They're Start all the available. Beginning. But 
I was reminded of the good things about it. Rufus Sewell is really good, is great, and it is it, it's in, it is incredibly ambitious and bold. But the whole I don't care about the Japanese infighting stuff. There's it gets bogged down in that. I don't particularly even I don't care that much about kind of the resistance because you think well we've, it's, that stuff feels a bit Handmaid's Taleish as yeah. well. So it feels like a lot of other shows kind of ran together. It doesn't feel particularly unique or original because there's this African American insurgency yeah. which has kind of taken as another faction. A bit I think the, so. I really enjoyed season one of this. Season two I, I I agree with you. Halfway through I think it ran out of steam a bit. Then you had a huge gap and then season three just did not come on my. T- and I didn't finish season three. No. So the catch-up for this was very, very helpful. <laughs> yeah. But the first one this, I thought, again, it's very convoluted. And you've got a few threads. I think any time, uh, sort of, whatever he is, he's Obergruppenfuhrer Smith. Like, any time Rufus Saul is on screen, you're having fun. Because yeah. he's great in this role. Yeah. And any time he and Alexa Davalos's uh, Juliana Crane are on screen, is time well spent. And the stuff with his family, there's lots going on with him. He's good. The problem is, he's only on it for about, I would say, like a fifth of the screen time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And after that, you're you're with the Kemper Kai, you're doing weird trans-dimensional meditation alternate history things it all goes a bit OA there's yeah. you know there's no psychic octopus but there might as well be um, you know and it's just like I don't care about any of this get back to the fun stuff with Rufus and and mm-hmm. you know may, maybe this will sort of build up to a climax this is the final season and maybe it will get more it'll co- have to build up to some kind of climax yeah, maybe it'll get more coherent as it gets towards the end <laughs> maybe. but I feel a little bit with this one that when this began when this started it was early streaming days and I think as such it was a big tentpole headline show and it was like this is brilliant in the same way that people were like you know Orange is New Black oh my god House of Cards these shows are amazing and now with the time that's passed you look back and think they're fine they're all fine mm. but frankly there's a shitload of much better stuff out there and I think the man in the high castle this castle is not as high as indeed was. at one point it was um, Amazon Prime's biggest show yeah it was the most popular show they 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 said yes. so I mean let's be honest if you've watched the first three seasons you're absolutely going to watch this just to justify the amount of time you've already sunk into this so go nuts <laughs> if you have yet to start this I would maybe think about watching some other things first but anyway uh, that is the final season of The Man in the High Castle drops on Amazon on Friday November the 15th and Rufus Saul is fabulous Next up is Kanye West's Pick of the Week. I refer, of course, to Gold Digger, which stars Julia Ormond as a 60-year-old divorcee who starts having sexy times with Ben Barnes' strapping young man, much to the consternation of her children, who are around about his age. Terry, let's hear what you thought of this one. Get down, girl. Go ahead, get down. <laughs> who the hell is that? Who the hell is that? I will just say that midway, just in case you didn't get the point, midway through this episode, her son does quote Kanye West. Oh, does he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, what, what is, what's wrong with him? Or I, and he literally goes, he's a gold digger. And then, one, yeah, the whole thing is a riff. Right, okay. In the middle I, of I the actually show. missed that. Of you so. did. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to start with the good stuff, right? Which is, it's no surprise that age depictions and age gap depictions are not something we usually see this way around, right? So, we um, popular culture is flooded with um, saggy old men and the much younger pert... Yeah. C.F. Uh, Keanu Reeves controversy this week. Well, quite, right? A, a woman nine years, he's junior. <laughs> like, wow, she's age appropriate. She's literally a decade younger than him. But so, you know, this, this, there's something about it which feels slightly kind of, um, I wouldn't go so far as to say revolutionary, but it's much more interesting than what you normally say. However... 
First things first, Julia Ormond does not look 60 years old. So imagine this with a woman who looks 60, right? It's a slightly different kettle of fish because there's something about the acceptability of the optics of a much older woman with a man 25 years her junior. That's part of the big problem is society's used to getting a boner over women and they don't get boners over old women because our society is awful, right? So Julia Ormond looks like Julia Ormond, who is basically staggeringly beautiful but she plays Julia and by the way Julia Ormond's character is called Julia and um, Ben yes. Barnes's character is called Ben and what the fuck could yeah. you just not be bothered to think of any names <laughs> well, got, we might as well we're going to keep it really yeah. simple so everyone remembers who they are <laughs> I was very, I was like huh? um, but she plays her interestingly so they meet in a museum as you say she's a divorcee it's her 60th birthday she wakes up alone she's meant to be meeting her family for a lunch her husband's liked it with her mate who's also clearly much younger and her kids all let her down one by one because her kids are pretty selfish cunts oh excuse the C word <laughs> I don't know where that came from wow there was a level of vitriol I didn't really feel towards the kids I'm not sure where that came from I'm leaving that in so she goes I mean it's quite it's quite fantasy right so she goes to a museum Whenever I've been to a museum and been single and sad, you just walk around and everybody <laughs> yeah. avoids you. Ben Barnes hasn't sidled up to you and said, well, I wonder what's missing from this display. Yeah. Julia Ormond wanders around looking sad. That meet you in the museum was yeah. super cringe. Yeah, so... Super cringe. And this is one of the problems, right? Is is there are moments which are cringe and which you don't quite buy. No. This, this show does not do nuance and subtlety well. <laughs> Apart from, and here's where I'm continuing and the good stuff is she plays I think she's wonderful and she plays her with a real vulnerability and self-consciousness that I find really believable so there's little moments like she turns off the lamp when they are in bed together for the first time without much kind of um, uh, what's the word ceremony she Mm. just kind of leans over and does it there's a moment when they're first talking and she pulls her hair over a part of her face like she's clearly self-conscious about the lines like she does that really really beautifully and you really buy into her and you really believe it everything else on the other hand is like being hit in the face with a wet fish because she's he literally there's one point where he winks just to show he's thinking something dastardly at her kids there's another one where he raises his eyebrow like a pantomime villain (laughs) he doesn't pay for anything it's all the big broad cliches and Mm. this is very broad and you kind of, he's not, he's hot, but, you know, he's not that charming. You think he's kind of irritating. She's very unquestioning, very naive. It's all kind of the big tropes that you're used to. Sorry, boy, no, I hate that word. All that you're expecting and that you're used to. And so they've called this a domestic noir, the BBC. And I think that claim is, is stretching it slightly because Just this is... There's an absurdity to it and a kind of um, campness to it almost that you're either going to love or you're going to hate. Where it doesn't work for me is where it straddles and it tries to be like a serious kind of thriller and then it kind of is a bit hammy at the same time. You can't be both. All of this said... I then desperately wanted to watch the second episode. Because it's absolute yeah. trash and it's quite compelling. And it's addictive. So I got yeah. to the end and I was like, this is fucking stupid. Like, what the fuck is that? I mean, this is like, this is the most heavy handed thing I've ever seen. And then I was like, oh, it's 1.30am. Should I go to sleep or should I watch another episode? Right. And I watched another episode. So that's the kind of thing it is. And if that is what you're after, which is a bit of sticky, trashy kind of nonsense with some pretty people in it, and some kind of well-worn cliches, then this is right up your street. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought I I I, I pretty much agree. I mean, I liked it. I mean, I fully embrace the cheese and yeah. and and the you know the. I, I think it is absolutely at one with its kind of um, over the topness and its lack of subtlety and fuck subtlety sometimes you think yeah you know and it is and I actually I still am riveted by who is he and what is his game and to what extent well to what extent he is going to be a wrong and obviously no because I think there's I think there's going to be it's going to be more complicated than we think put it that way because there's another fucking four episodes of this so it's not (laughs) and by episode two she is more doubting isn't she she's already more doubting in episode two she has a She's, you know, she 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 realizes that it's not all of completely straightforward. The kids, I think her kids are hilarious. I mean, that son is right. The son, the yeah. youngest son, Just Leo, awful. No, but but credit Archie Renault plays him, and he is a bundle of, of shit. He is a <laughs> he is a c word, and he's great. He's such a spoiled little twat. Also, the like, weird eldest son who's yeah, like yeah. I, who doesn't want to be his dad, and yeah. but the, I mean there's... Sebastian Armester, he's weird, yeah, and Jim, Jemima Rupert, who I always love. Oh, she's amazing. Love Jemima Rupert. But he, I mean, they, I mean, the, the boys especially, they, yeah. um, they are getting their acting work out, aren't they? They really are, yeah. So everyone, all of the kids have their own separate dramas yes, to deal with exactly. as well. So they've all got juicy, mm. melodramatic storylines anyway. There's also a whole other thing going on, which we don't, where these kind of flashes, flashbacks to some trauma, some shared trauma. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is going to, you know, play out in some mm. way. So there's a lot going on and that's what yeah. I like about it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm fully in. I'm not even ever doubting I was in. So after about 10 minutes, I was like, yeah, I'm loving this. So <laughs> it's I'm it's carry a trashy on. mystery, weird yeah. thing yeah yeah what did they call and it? she is Judy Ormond fucking hell yeah Aww. absolutely yeah. brilliant I mean she is phenomenal I think this is the first TV she's ever done oh. she's incredible soulful so yeah totally just, soulful yeah. She's, she, but she is so new that's what I, I was so in love with her and she's so nuanced and she's so like you know every little move she makes is, is done with intent and she's yeah plays it so remarkably and then you've got old Ben blundering around next to her and kids like yeah. just just wandering around acting their faces off and you're like you are in the presence yeah. of Julia Ormond do better I don't know what you're talking about you're talking about Prince Caspian <laughs> oh, well, and yeah Doofus from Westworld as well <laughs> yeah that's right oh yeah he, he played a gig- gigantic and Westworld. lest we forget Jigsaw from Punisher <laughs> Anyway, that is Gold Digger. Oh, what, you, what did you think what of it? What did you think? I've, I've been you chipping in. What, what do you want me to say for me? You said two sentences. Did oh, you watch it? Good. Yes, I did. I watched all of it. Thank you, Terry. Um, yeah, no, I thought exactly the same thing. I did not particularly love it. I thought it was a little bit uh, forced and artificial. And the the bit in the museum was just... When she's like, I wonder what was missing here. And she's like, well, it was this. And you could see the pain on her face. I was like, what? Who talks like this? And that kind of annoyed me. And, and moments of it, I found just... just just really, just no subtlety to it whatsoever. Like a brick for a window, some of these scenes were. Um, the awkward dinner where she introduces her children to him. Right. I almost had to climb, loved crawl it. under yeah. the sofa and die watching Absolutely that. It was it, excruciating. Yeah. But that's when he was winking. Yeah. I mean, the bit yeah. where he winked oh, at God, her son. Yeah, there's no like, subtlety to this. Did he just wink yeah. at him? <laughs> it's just like, and, like, and there's there's a hug in this at one point, a really oh. awkward hug. And I swear to God, I thought he was gonna, I, I thought he was gonna grab and say, "I knew it was you, Fredo. I know it was you. <laughs> you broke my, you heart. broke my heart, Fredo." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. So, I mean, will I watch another one of these? God, no. But oh, uh, I can totally really? understand why someone might go through all these because it is, it's, I mean, it's, it's a bit us. compelling. <laughs> We've already established that. I have other things to watch. This oh, will not be one of them. I'm, I'm got, sorry. I've got to watch fucking Jack Ryan. I can't be asked to watch that. <laughs> is essentially what I'm saying, yes. Uh, but I was intrigued to find out what happens. 
just not that intrigued. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yes, this is dropping on BBC One on Tuesday, November 12th at 9pm. Oh, can I just mention one line that I sure. forgot about that I just yeah. threw on my phone? So she'd been to these she'd been to this sad gallery, being sad on her sad birthday, and um, her friend was like, "Oh, what happened? You must have been so sad. How many galleries can one woman consume?" And Julia Armand goes, "You'd be surprised." And I'm like, "Is galleries meant to be euphemism for cock at this point?" <laughs> Is galleries supposed to be a euphemism for cock? Finally, this week, we have the show that answers the age-old question, what would happen if aliens invaded Woking? Uh, this is the first of two upcoming adaptations of the H.G. Wells classic. Uh, the all-important first the in the title being the main signifier here. This stars Rafe Spall, Eleanor Tomlinson and Robert Carlyle as a trio of Surrey residents during the early 20th century who find their Downton Abbey-esque existences rudely interrupted by an ill-timed Martian invasion. Boyd, yes. was the Mars bar set high with this one? Aha! I need to stop this, don't I? No. I may need to retire this these. This is brilliant. Uh, I'm right. loving it, frankly. Do it more. Do yeah, it more. Do it more. <laughs> do it more. Um, so this is an interesting one because this was filmed ages ago, uh, War of the Worlds. Oh, yes, it's an Edwardian. It was English, but turn of the 20th century. <laughs> it's boy. not a documentary. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't film it in Edwardian times. Um, but it was announced like a long time ago. I'm pretty sure they kind of roughly scheduled it to be on TV about a year ago. Um, there was rumours it was going to be on last Christmas. Um, now it's finally um, being let out. It's a three-parter. It's um, it's written by Patrick Harness, who's written quite a lot of Doctor Who. And I do feel, it feel, feels to me, I kept, what I kept thinking was, this is Doctor Who does War of the Worlds. Yes. It's about that level. And, and I, obviously, for me, that's a compliment. I think for me, Terry as so. well. Um, because it's, but it is in terms of um, production values and the, um, the kind of pace of it and the tone of it, even to some extent, it's quite Doctor Who-ish. Rafe Spall, of course, who is the, the the male lead, was was auditioned for Doctor Who. Do we know this story? He auditioned to be Doctor Who. I think maybe even the tenth Doctor, or maybe eleventh. I it was eleventh. Eleventh. Thank you. Um, and he didn't get it because he blabbed to everyone. <laughs> he auditioned, and they literally phoned his agent saying, "He's telling everyone, and we told him to give you a secret." And he was like, "That's why he didn't become Doctor Who." But he's great. I think I've always liked Rafe Spall. He has a kind of naturalism to him, and um, he's kind of really entertaining in this. And he's alongside Ellen Tomlinson from Poldark. And she's really good. So they're in a kind of... Their relationship is explored quite heavily at the same time as the science fiction version of the H.G. Wells novel is played out alongside mm. it. And I did actually... Thought I thought it was decently done. I did care quite a lot about them because they're you know he's he's about he's left his wife, so it's a certain illicitness to their relationship. Um, they're both very likable and interesting. There's some cartoony kind of doofus comes in from the government to oversee things when this giant weird ball lands in the forest and they and, and, and they wonder what it is. Um, it's kind of it, some bits of it look great. Um, and this might be a little bit similar to what I'm saying about Doctor Who. And the others, you think, oh, they need a little bit more budget for the CGI in this bit. Um, the bits where this mysterious woman's walking along the child in this kind of seemingly a Martian-style landscape, which is very brownie orangey look great and they're seen some scenes of the of the um, tripods arrive they look great and then other bits the CGI looks kind of notably bad so I do feel like I wonder whether they just ran out a bit of money in the end but I quite I enjoyed it quite a lot and I think it, the, the main device which is that 
uh, this woman walking along in the Martian landscape thing. That played out really well. I was very impressed with that. There's a really good kind of idea that that Peter um, Harkness, Harkness has about them, and that that kind of he uses that really well. But it, for a story that we've, has been told quite a lot, we've seen quite a few versions, from the Spielberg version to mm. you know the ludicrous musical, which I used to love when I was growing up as a kid. Um, I don't feel it's quite got enough that's new. It's the first time I believe they've done a version of it that is this close to the original novel, yeah, pretty yeah, much. That's so true. that's the kind of supposed to be the unique thing about mm. it. But having said that, we do know what the story is, the crux of it. And it's not quite I don't feel it at the end of this, unlike Goldig, I'm like, I have to carry on watching it. But I did enjoy it mm. as it was going along. I see my my summation I think is very similar. It looks like Doctor Who does War of the Worlds, but for me that is not necessarily a good thing. I didn't hate this, like because the story I'm predisposed to like it. But weirdly for me, given my predispositions, the arrival of the aliens irritated me because I was weirdly drawn in by the melodrama of their relationship mm. and the fact that they are living in sin together because they're unmarried. And in in Edwardian England, that's more seismic than the fact that the Martians are invading. Yeah. It's like, he's shagging a woman. They're not even married. <laughs> you know, and it's so quaint and so ridiculous and he's all but being shunned because he's having extramarital sex. And by the way, aliens are coming to kill everyone. But the thing is, the aliens came and I was like, no, 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 stop that. I really, I was fascinated. He's going to meet his ex-wife. He's got things going on with his brother. Like, weirdly, the downtonness of it was what really got me. And I was like, oh, aliens, must we do this? <laughs> Isn't that why I found that confusing? Because I, I'm with you. I was like, oh, but this domestic drama, yeah. period domestic mm. drama. It's great. It was basically Downton Abbey, as you say. <laughs> yeah. I was like quite into that. And so much so that you forget that it's meant to be science mm. fiction. And, but yeah. it was then unwelcome when yeah. the science fiction stuff came because it derails the whole story that you're getting invested in. Well, so I mean, boy, I think Boyd is being a little bit kind. Some of that, some of that VFX work in the last fifteen minutes, especially, I was like, "Holy shit! What has happened?" You say maybe they didn't have enough money. I mean, I'm presuming like yeah. they had no money at that point, and maybe that it was too ambitious because, as you say, there are moments where we actually is fine and, and slick but mm. there are moments where and maybe they were trying to do too much there's kind of this um, uh, quite a lot happening towards the end and you yeah. kind of it reveals the cracks fairly dramatically and that takes you you've already just been taken out of this thing you're quite enjoying and then you get further taken out of it because you're like that is bad <laughs> and I don't believe it and I don't believe any of those people are in peril in the way you're meant to. Um, so by the time I got to the end, I was like, no, 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 no. It starts with no. a really no. clunky voiceover, which I think was a mistake. And I think they do the alien reveal far too early. Like they're very upfront about the aliens. And I get it's a device and it's fine and no one's under any illusions that aliens are coming. <laughs> but I just thought that possibly really? wasn't oh. the choice I would have. But then it's difficult. Like I you can't know. compare I, I this up... BBC production to Steven Spielberg. But the emergence of the tripods in Spielberg's thing is and the, the initial attack is mm. incredible. Yeah. But I mean admittedly that is a Steven Spielberg film, it's slightly different. But this this I will give this This is show, more like arrival, isn't it, the way they yeah, do the, yeah, 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 it reminded yeah. me of that a lot. I mean arrival's an absolute masterpiece, but um I feel like there's an influence there in the way they deal with the aliens in this. That I, it felt quite believable. I mean, I'm not in terms of the the the, the um, VFX, but I felt like this probably would be roughly how it would have happened if it had happened in the Edwardian times in where, where is it in um, Luton or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, um, it's Woking. Woking. It's Woking. Um, but yeah, I yeah. I mean, I think I think the setup of the of the relationship you being that invested in it works because of course. 
I mean, not even spoiler alert. Obviously, the whole idea is, you know, relationships get sun- split asunder by yeah. the fact that, you know, it's all about trying to find the people you've lost, your loved ones. I know, but it kind of, I, oh, I, that the was the story get, I wanted. I did, the, yeah, the way, yes. The way they get wrenched apart. There is a, there is a yeah, the, yeah, you're right. The way you get wrenched yeah. apart is, is fairly that I was That was probably, oh, just fuck off. Yeah. Like, that really annoyed me. Because it's just, like, it felt so artificial. Yeah. And just, it's like, it's that, that feels like, it's made by people who've never a watched a TV show or seen a film because it was so hoary. I couldn't, couldn't or, deal with that. Or even like been around another person. <laughs> or, or that too. But the only reason I will forgive this entire show is it contains what I think is the single best line of dialogue I've heard this year, which is something can't erupt from Mars and end up in Surrey. And I thought that is brilliant screenwriting. <laughs> was that the posh bloke who suddenly arrives to take over the whole thing and I sits there so. on his chair? <laughs> he is brilliant. That's a marvelous line. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, look, will I watch the rest of this? It's entirely possible. Um, of course but you will. There's a sequence. There is a sequence there where Eleanor Tomlinson is in mid gallop on a horse. Yeah, and she's on a horse. But weirdly, I don't know why, but my eyes were drawn to the bottom of the screen, and I thought that is a really shit fake horse's head just moving backwards and forwards, <laughs> and I couldn't take my eyes off this shit fake horse head kind of going back and forth while she sits on it, and that was my main takeaway. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> The enough. War of the Worlds, not to be confused with War of the Worlds, which is coming from Fox early next year, and I'm sure we'll have a bigger budget, but The War of the Worlds lands on BBC One on Sunday, November the 17th at 9pm. Pick of the week, people. Mm. Uh, qu- uh, oh, crowd. The crowd. I was about to yeah. say, yeah. surely isn't mm. the crowd. Yeah, well, suddenly, I thought you were going to say it's still the Young Offenders. Oh, no, but no, but I'm I am going to watch. All of Gold Digger. I've got to be. Yeah, so, I've got to be upfront yeah, about it. So am okay. I, yeah. Right now is the time when I would, of course, introduce the Banshee segment, where we resurrect an old show for modern viewing pleasures. Except, I may or may not have had time to do one. Oh, I see. Uh, however, Sorry. what I will share with you is this, uh, and that is one of our listeners, Steve Dinning, went through every single one of our former podcasts and provided really? for me a spreadsheet of every Banshee we've ever done. Oh who did this? Steve Denning, who listened to this podcast. He was so, I think, no, it wasn't actually just because he was deeply annoyed that Chris Hewitt came and did Blue Brothers, which apparently, which apparently he's already done. <laughs> Chris <laughs> Hewitt, you know I came so. in. At the time, yeah, I thought so. He came in on episode 16 and banged on about Blue Bloods, oh, and according God. to Steve, said almost exactly the same thing word for word. <laughs> so we're so, te- and, and, I was like, and I was like, oh yeah, I think that was the joke when 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 he called me out on it and then actually thinking about it i'm like do you know what i didn't realize at the time i don't think either of you realized and let's be honest chris probably didn't realize so maybe it wasn't the joke well when he came in and started talking about it, i did think my god i'm sure i've heard him banging on about this before because <laughs> he does it so way. regularly in the office my, it all just blends into one yeah. for me um so yeah so he's providing me with a whole thing including there's a whole section where he's just putting he's put uh cancelled too soon a precursor to Banshee where we had a, a one episode it's one where Julia Rayside came on and we did a whole section on cancelled too soon and we talked about so there were a bunch of shows I think I talked about Jericho and Ultraviolet in particular on that one right. and Firefly right. uh, for shows that were cancelled ahead of their time but Jericho would have been a good Banshee that's um, that's Skeet Ulrich in a kind of post-apocalyptic world around for two seasons and I actually really liked that I thought that was really fun and they did uh, I think they sent was it Peanuts I think they sent Peanuts or something to the network to try and get them to reinstate when it got I wasn't listening to anything you were saying. <laughs> what was happening? That, well, that's really no distinction from a normal episode. But that's one thing. And Ultraviolet, I've definitely talked about, which yeah. is the vampire one. I've done that again. Yeah, you've since. done Ultraviolet. So, uh, but no, I don't think I've done Jericho again since. So my banshee for this week.
Kidsa. Go back and listen to episode five uh, and me talking about, about Jericho in Cancel Too Soon. Oh, what in sense, <laughs> of, enti- what sense of entitlement? You're rebanshing an, an, a previous yeah. banshee. What? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I know no rules. Oh, I will not be constrained no by your ribbles. Jesus, wait. Um, Boyd, you're better well, than I me. Well, I did come sure up with one, one. Um, inspired by... I, but I should say, by the way, that I am kind of like a spokesperson for BritBox, so I, I have to you know, make that what clear. What do you mean? Well, you'll see next week, I was tweeting about it. Like, you're you know, a BritBox like whore? I'm a BritBox whore. No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, you know, they've picked me. They've got various people who, you know... You're a paid ambassador. I'm a paid ambassador. But you're, are you there to also <laughs> dial down the racism, or is it just, you know, is that Steady. all part and parcel? <laughs> but, I'm, but, even bit, but even separate from that... No I wonder thought, you were flinching when he kept hanging <laughs> on about racism. Like, yeah. yeah, massively racist <laughs> BritBox. I should, I should point out for our lawyers, I'm not saying BritBox is in any way racist. I'm simply saying all British exactly. television from the 70s is basically racist. <laughs> yes, but even that's not true. Um, so, uh, bear that, but I have picked something that's on BritBox, which is At Home with the Braithwaite, which was Sally Wainwright's, one of Sally Wainwright's first things, which I don't think I've done before. <laughs> you can check, check on your spreadsheet. No, I'm checking my spreadsheets for uh, Boyd's, Boyd's <laughs> Banshees. No, I'm not seeing it. Um, it was a, there were four series of it, and it was a very simple, straightforward idea, which is what happens when a normal, nice, middle-class suburban family wins the lottery, wins a lot of, lot of money. And this was back in the day when kind of the lottery was kind of fairly new, felt fairly new back in, I think, 2000. Um, and so, it, but it's really an excuse for a kind of character-led family drama, comedy drama. It was funny. It was believable. It was brilliantly cast. Um, and Amanda Redman, Peter Davison, Sarah Smart, etc. It was really, really good. And it was early evidence of how brilliantly talented Sally Wainwright is as a writer. At home with the Braithwaite's. At home with the Braithwaite's. So I'm going to enter it into this spreadsheet. Well, I mean, here's the thing: is there's only one banshee to choose from this week because you've rebanshied an, an old banshee. So, Terry, you're not prepared to go back to that furious episode and listen to Jericho. No. No, you wanted to. Like, what? <laughs> so Boyd wins by default. So Boyd wins by default Thanks. with At Home with the Braithwaite. That seems fair. That yeah. seems fair. Although Jericho is almost certainly better. Right. Okay. That is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. If you'd like to be our friend, then feel free to follow us on Twitter and or Instagram at Boyd Hilton, at Terry underscore White and at James C. Dyer. If you'd like to be our enemy, then head over to iTunes and leave a snarky comment. Uh, or better yet, leave a nice one, along with five of your best stars. We'll be back next week when, Terry, the new series of Law & Order SVU lands on Channel 5. Now, now, Terry, how seismic is this event in your personal calendar? I mean, wow. oh my God. <laughs> Season 21 officially makes it the Season longest... Season 21? Officially makes it the longest running procedural... Of, and I mean, any drama, I think, actually, on American television. Network drama. Mariska Hargitay is now directing more episodes. This is like my fucking Christmas. Will we get? Will we be able to see it in advance though? I don't know if we will. So hang on. So this is twenty-one seasons. That's four hundred and sixty-two horrid rapes on television that you have sat through. How do you know what the average number of well, episodes r- are per season? About twenty-two. I'm saying twenty-two episodes a season. Twenty-one seasons. That's four hundred and sixty-two. But it's not always rape. It's it's the full gamut of the special. The special victims unit are there for vulnerable people who have been attacked or abused it runs the gamut of crimes so don't make assumptions so this drops on channel 5 next week I am saying that for you Terry we should add this to the lineup 
and we should review it. And sort of in an almost inverse of Terry watches Farscape, it'll be Boyd and James watch Law and Order SVU. So we, I think we should, I think we should do that. I think we should review episode one of series twenty one of Law and Order. Oh my god, SVU next week. Oh my god. But you have to have watched Farscape. That's the deal. You know how many episodes there have been. Go on. 465. Oh, so there been more. Go. I said, that was close. 462. That's yeah. pretty there close. Go. Yeah. All right. That's pretty good. good. Right. Well, look. And the best single episode ever is Behave, starring Jennifer Love Hewitt. What season was that in? That was season, now you're testing my knowledge. Was it 14, I want to say? Okay. Christ. Right. Okay. Go well, <laughs> you can look forward to uh, James and Boyd watch Law and Order SVU next week. Uh, and until that unmissable moment, pilot out. <laughs> 